Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The number nine. My biggest concern is that Mexico does tend to make those little mistakes defensively. But it's the inconsistencies. With the what is it this inconsistent though? It's going to well, be on the ground for the majority the, of the time. No, I look back at highlights. That, no, that's, if you that's have... the Christian Pulisic treatment though. Same. We're going to and... have to stop this. We're going to start arguing on this podcast, aren't we? Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Real Football Show. I'm Lizzie with co-host Gino. How are you doing? Pretty good. I uh, can't complain. You know, we've had, what, four days now? Five days? Was it day four of the World Cup? So... Not much to complain about when you get to, uh, you know, have soccer on, you know, while you're working the entire day. So not too bad. Not too shabby. Nope. 5 a.m. to 4 p.m. <laughs> on the East Coast. Not too bad. So as promised, we will be doing recaps for all CONCACAF nations at the World Cup, which is the U.S. men's national team, Canada men's national team, Mexico and Costa Rica, which we've given absolutely zero love to in the past but we'll recap a little bit now there's so much action as always beyond this podcast follow us on twitter at 90 min us and instagram 90 min usa we'll be there doing lives doing recaps basically covering all the action and if you didn't get that guess what they're on the bottom of these (laughs) screens so you can just look right there you don't even have to worry about it it's right there for you right very easy so to kick off we're gonna have a special guest Chris Smith is joining us to talk about all things Canada men's national team. He's part of our 90 Min network in the USA. He writes, he does it all. Welcome. I think he's there. I see him there. He's there. We got him. I think a little jumpy there, but. There we go. I'm there we now. go. How you doing, Chris? Sorry. I'm good, thank you, guys. Just. 
dealing with some really well-timed internet issues. <laughs> I'm uh, pretty exhausted after jumping around my living room watching Canada. So, <laughs> Yeah, it was a pretty yeah. interesting game overall. I mean, I think a lot of people, and you can probably go into more depth in this, you know, as you uh, probably know a little bit more about them than we do. But, I mean, I think a lot of people went in this match not expecting much, and they got a lot more than they were expecting. A, a team that, uh, you know, kind of came onto the stage and showed who they were throughout CONCACAF qualifying in the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think a lot of people over in the UK, especially, you know, in the in the pre-match build-up, were really underestimating her and sort of talking them up to be this plucky team that are probably going to get rolled over by Belgium. But obviously, those of us that cover them a bit more closely know that they were in qualifying and they just came and took the game right to Belgium and, I think anybody who's watched this Canadian team over the last couple of years, just how effective it was, was really impressive. And for a while there, I think Belgium were really scared. Yeah, I, th- I think we saw them kick off very strong right away. And within the first 10 minutes, there was an opportunity at goal. Penalty, craziness. Um, their first chance at a first ever World Cup goal. We know Canada last qualified in 1986, 36 years ago, um, but they failed to score in either the first three um, group stage matches. They ended in fourth, failed to qualify. So that was their first chance, Alfonso Davis, and he missed. So there's a lot of people who said that he was an up-and-coming player, other people who say they don't he didn't deserve that penalty, but he missed nonetheless. Yeah, Chris, what your opinion on this? I mean, for me personally, I, I mean, I love Alfonso Davies. I think he's a fantastic player, but you know, a guy who plays left back for his, you know, his club team doesn't typically get to take those penalty kicks. Also, coming off of a uh, an injury as well, your thoughts on on Davies being the one that that stepped up and took the kick there? Yeah, I mean, anyone needs telling that Alfonso Davis is Canada's best player um, by some distance. But I think if you're not Sergio Ramos, then a defender shouldn't be taking a penalty. And I think we all really thought Jonathan David was going to be the guy maybe to step up or even someone with a lot of experience, you know, Atiba Hutchinson maybe with, you know, the the calm, cool head in in a big pressure situation. But, you know, Davies obviously has the talent and fancied himself and, I don't know whether the pressure got to him. He maybe changed his mind at the last moment. He just he didn't commit enough to where he was going and, and made it too easy for Thibaut Courtois. So a chance blown, but I don't want to be too hard on a very young guy missing in such a high-pressure situation. And you talk about Ativa Hutchinson. Gino and I have previously had this debate whether you prefer a young squad or one with more experience at the World Cup. Gino, you can no longer say the Mexican team is old. He is a 39-year-old player on the field, officially FIFA's oldest player beyond a goalkeeper. So, Well, in in fairness, one player doesn't make a whole team. So, you know. But you officially can't (laughs) talk about Mexico anymore. Um, Yeah, but I mean, yeah. Again, my personal opinion on the whole situation, I agree. Don't. Defenders should not be taking penalty kicks no matter what. Um, and I know for Canada, he plays a little higher up um, as he did today. But, um, you know, I, I think you're right. Jonathan David, somebody else should have been taking that penalty kick. And again, listen, I mean, we saw yesterday in the Mexican game, which we will get to, 
you know, Robert Lewandowski, one of the best strikers in the world, miss a penalty kick. So it can happen to anybody. But um, again, I, in my personal opinion, I probably would have went with somebody, somebody else um, on that, uh, you know, with such a high pressure situation and so early in the game too. But. And then further on in the game, we saw there was another foul inside Belgium's box, but the referee did not call that to be a penalty. I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on whether they deserved a second penalty or not. Chris, you want to take this one first? I was going to say which one. There was two. <laughs> yeah. Was, uh, I specifically remember Rhea being brought down by Axel Witzel, I believe, in the box mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah, um, it was. Yep. Bit of a clumsy coming together. Listen, maybe I'm a bit biased, but I think they were both penalties. I think Canada have been a, a little hard done by there. And, you know, on, on other days, maybe you get those. Other days you don't, which is really frustrating because VAR is supposed to take that kind of conversation out of the question. Mm-hmm. But I think when John Herbin looks back on the performance as a whole and the way the game went, I don't think he's going to be focusing on that too much, as much as it might be frustrating that there are a lot more positives and a few things to work on besides penalties, which has come down to luck in the end. Yeah, no, I mean, the second one, the one um, that wasn't the offsides one, I, I could see a little bit more reason, you know, the legs kind of left there, player goes a little bit slower, kind of a coming together. Still, I think what in many situations would be called a penalty, surprised it wasn't considered, considering how much we've already seen so many penalties already and and this emphasis on protecting the players inside the box and, and the holding and all that. Um, you know, who knows if maybe the... Um, fact that Canada already gotten a penalty played a role in that decision. Um, obviously, I'm sure the referee did not want to give two penalties. But again, like you said, re- VAR is supposed to rectify this whole situation about what is and what isn't a penalty. Um, this The second one, the offsides one, is a difficult one, as they were explaining on the broadcast, because like I think VAR checked for the offsides, and you know, which again, it, it was not offsides to begin with. Then you have to... It was a whole mess of things that got um, kind of jumbled into one. But I think this, that that one is probably, for me, more of the one to have a gripe with. But, yeah, again, I think they both were probably penalties. But I don't think John Herdman is going to be disappointed with the effort or what went wrong. You know, it's if Davies makes that penalty. It's a 1-1 game or it's a one nothing game at that point. Uh, maybe it's maybe in that situation it's a little bit more of a, a talking point because then you go up possibly two nothing, but um, but yeah overall I think Canada just played so well and you know that's probably not the first thing on John Herdman's mind or um, despite the fact that he probably got asked that the first question at the press conference today. <laughs> so today with Alfonso Davis's opportunity that marks the eighth penalty so far this World Cup, which is an astonishing number given the fact that yeah. we've just pretty much concluded the first round of the group stage matches. But the entire game really begs the question, did Canada deserve more? Now, given the penalty and their chances at goal, I think, though unlucky, the the scoreline really says it all. You really have to convert those opportunities when given the chance. But what do you guys think? Um, I I mean, if we're talking raw chance creation um you know expected goals which divides everyone and you know pure stats canada did way more than enough to be at least one maybe two nil up at half time obviously they burned out a little bit in the second half 
Um, still created a couple of chances, still had a threat. Um, it, it ended up, I think it was 22-9 in Canada's favour on shots. And, mm-hmm. you know, even in the second half when Belgium were dominating, they still had five shots. That was it. And they, they only had four in the first half. So, yeah, on the balance of the game, Canada absolutely deserved at least something. That being said, I kind of agree with Lizzie where, you know, when you create those chances, you then have to take them. And that's where, you know, a team like Belgium will take that chance and we'll probably go further in the tournament. And maybe, you know, we might see a similar game with Canada against Croatia. And that's where maybe someone like Ivan Perisic might take the chance. And that's where, for this World Cup, Canada gets let down. But again, a lot to be optimistic for. And, you know, it's... It's all these experiences that might just carry them through in the next World Cup. I know we're not really thinking about that yet, but these are valuable experiences. We always are. Yeah. We always (laughs) are. You guys are. You guys are. (laughs) Yes, yes. We always are looking towards the next World Cup. But yeah, no, I think I think in a a, in like you guys said, it kind of felt like, yes, they had 22 shots, but a lot of those shots felt rushed or kind of, you know, just swinging a foot at the ball, hoping they hit a target. Um, you know, headers up in the air where you're just trying to find the target. Like you said, that experience in a World Cup where this is the first game that any of them have played in a World Cup, the first game the country's played in a World Cup in 36 years. Um, I think a lot of that adrenaline plays a role in that, and you're just looking to find the net any way you can. And once those first few shots don't go in, you know, it's similar to, you know, what they say in basketball, that net starts to look a little bit smaller. I think even in this situation with Thibaut Courtois being as tall as he is already and being as good as a goalkeeper is already, kind of deflates you as the game goes on and they had their chances, but you know, yes. Did they have, if you go by expected goals, according to FUTMOB, it's 2.61, I think for Canada, That's but a it's a, it's a <laughs> lot. It's uh, a lot. There's a, pe- there's a penalty involved there as well, but that yes, exactly. A high number. Still, if you take out the penalty, which we've seen in the last couple of days has been like a, basically a one of expected yeah. goal. Um, that's still another 1.61. So they deserved, I think the way they played um, overall probably warranted a point out of this one. But like you guys have mentioned, you have to finish your chances. And that's going to be a topic of conversation, I'm sure, not only for Canada and not the last time we talk about this at this World Cup. Well, before we wrap up the Canada session with Chris, um, two questions for you. Is this the Canada you expected and what do you hope to see in their next match? Um, it is a little, tiny little bit more than I expected, if I'm being completely honest. Um, I expected them wow. to really take the game to everyone that they played, but I didn't expect them to have Belgium on the ropes that much in the first half. So, yeah, I expected them to be good, just not that good. And I suppose for upcoming games, I expect more of the same, but just take your chances. Like, you've had your free hit now against Belgium. You know, the next two games are way more winnable. Play how you did tonight and finish your chances. And four points, maybe even six if we're really dreaming, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility because Croatia looked very ordinary this morning. Um, Morocco were okay, but have their limitations. And I think, you know, pound for pound, if you're looking at the difference makers in those teams, Canada are right up there with them. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, like we said on the podcast, I, I definitely underestimated Canada, which is, you know, you would think that's, I would have learned by now considering <laughs> how they played in the CONCACAF qualifying. You know, I think a lot of times, like we said, we, you know, in certain situations we think, oh, maybe this doesn't translate because it's CONCACAF. We've had this discussion before, but Canada showed that 
they're just as good as they were in the CONCACAF and they can just, you know, create those chances that they created. So um, I was very um, surprised and, you know, I think from a neutral perspective, happy for Canada and the Canadian fans with how they performed. And like Chris said, I mean, you know, it's going to be a little bit of different game maybe against Morocco where they might have to be, I mean, not that they weren't on the front foot, but they won't have to worry about as much of the attacking threat that Belgium had. Um, whereas in Croatia, you have Luka Modric in the midfield, Brozovic, you know, some of those guys who are a little more talented. Morocco doesn't have that as much, so they might be sitting back a little bit more depending on how results go. But because um, they do Canada play Croatia next or Morocco? Croatia and conclude gotcha. with Morocco. And the Moroccan versus Croatian result really opened up the group. Yeah, it's sure. Belgium first with three, then Croatia and Morocco both tied at one point in Canada at zero currently. But we know things to change. And mm. this World Cup is truly one of surprises. Yeah, I mean, I don't, th- after today's performance, I, I, not like I would not be surprised if Canada take four points at the very least from the next two games. Exactly. I think Ford. I think Ford does it as well. Yeah, me too. Four. Yeah, and then I, I can't leave this podcast, Gino, without saying I hope you have an absolutely terrible day on Friday. I said, Chris. I said, I said, <laughs> I don't understand the English hate for Jordan Pickford, but if there's <laughs> one game where I want him to be absolutely awful, it's Friday. I will live yeah. with the English hate for Jordan Pickford. <laughs> If he is just awful on Friday. If, but, uh, uh, if England lose that, I don't think I can show my face on Twitter ever again, can I? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure anybody from the English side would be able to show their face on Twitter. I think no. it's gonna be a it's gonna be interesting. We'll see. It's it's certainly I'm you know, I'm sure it's going to be an affair, at least in the lead up to the game, but you know, Harry Kane's ankle, maybe he doesn't start. I've we'll, never been we'll so nervous for a game in my entire <laughs> life. I'll promise you that. So yeah, I understand. I understand. <laughs> yeah, it's it's di- weird because and we're getting into a little bit of talk, but real quick, the Wales Iran game I think really determines a lot of what happens yeah. in the England. And who USA is going to wake up at five in the morning for that? I don't. I there's no shot. There's Not no you. Shot. <laughs> there's no shot. <laughs> Um, well, thanks so much, Chris, for being on with us. Yeah, and thanks, you Chris. can keep reading him on 90min.com slash US and on Twitter. And we're going to have him on this podcast a couple more times. And hopefully, if Canada get to the round of 16, then we'll get to him as well. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thanks, Chris. Thanks so much. Now, hopping right into Mexico versus Poland, it was Saving a the- highly... For last. Yep, a highly, <laughs> highly anticipated game in Group C, especially because it seemed to be the most equal in the sense. Um, obviously, prior to the World Cup kicking off, everyone expected Argentina to lead standings. We know that's not the case. I did not watch the 5 a.m. game, but definitely woke up with a giant smile on my face, though it does complicate standings for Mexico and Poland. But it definitely does. Yeah, it definitely does. It's, it's, yeah. It makes it significantly more interesting now. And again, I mean, it listen, sure who, knows, who knows what Argentina... I mean, obviously, I think a lot of people expect Argentina to rebound from that. But I don't know, maybe it gives you some confidence going into your game that... Um, it never you does. Know? Yeah, Nothing no, does. But, but yeah, yeah. we get into it. But basically, um, we saw a 0-0 draw and for the scoreline to be quite deceiving because... It was action-packed. We saw 
chances on both ends. And obviously we know Guillermo Ochoa saved that Robert Lewandowski penalty. So now the Polish striker still is without a World Cup goal ever, um, which is definitely, definitely interesting. And glad that we could play our part in that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Glad that you could play a part in him not having a World Cup goal. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed that. it. Personally enjoyed it. I do Personally, that- I don't understand why everybody else doesn't know how to take penalties, but Gareth Bale just knows how to blast one into the upper right-hand corner. Yeah, that's an excellent That's my point personal opinion. Um, I don't think, as opposed to Alfonso Davis's penalty, I don't think Lewandowski's penalty was badly taken. I just think Ochoa did an excellent job at timing his dive and guessing where that could go. And if you see the video in very slow motion, you saw Ochoa dive to the other edge first before making his committed dive to um, to the right, I believe it was, to kind of trick play. That was excellent on his end. He saved 17 penalties in his entire career. Four have been for Mexico. And he did say after the match that it was life is curious in the way that it works because he hasn't saved one in quite some time, but it's especially a technique and something he's been working on with the goalkeeping coach of the Mexican national team. So he kind of just walked it off laughing. Um, and then as he is in his humble ways, credited the, like the defense and the midfield for blocking every opportunity when in fact he was Budweiser's player of the match. As Always, he is. Have been. Always is that memo. Ochoa Always finds a way to do it in the world cup. I keep telling um, people and people keep doubting him, but no. I don't know how, because like there. half the time the Mexico wins a game, he's got five saves. Like, I feel like he's always yep. at the middle of everything that they do at the World Cup. And I mean, I don't know, personally for me, I don't think it was as poorly taken as Alfonso Davies, but he didn't find the corner and he left it at a decent height. You know, it's like, it's he didn't put right. it in, you know, he left it at a decent height where if Memo Ochoa is guessing the right spot, he can block it with other parts of his body. You know, it's like, right. obviously you have to guess it first. I, I think he could have done a little bit better with the penalty. But again, you know, Memo right. Choa, fantastic save. I mean, you have to get there. It's just, you know, disappointing that Gareth Bale can, you know, try and just, you know, maybe keep it on the ground. I don't know, a little slower. Okay, something. First, first of all, though, Matt Turner is not Memo Choa. Yeah, but Second he guessed all- the right way. Mm-hmm. And he got a finger on the ball that was going 800 miles an hour. That's even worse. Um, I was fortunate enough to speak with Memo Choa prior to the World Cup, and I asked him how his role had evolved with the Mexican national team throughout his five World Cups and obviously in the years in between. And he basically spoke on his ability to influence the younger players, his ability to have that leadership role both on and off the field. And that's exactly what we saw against Poland he has a way of calming those around him and reassuring the back line. That video, by the way, is up on my Twitter and going to be up on the 90 Min US Twitter as well. So you can tune into that after this podcast. And yeah, he he's a voice of reason within that podcast, which I mean, within that field, which is great. He can be no. a voice of reason on this podcast too, if he wants. I mean, he can come uh, on. Yeah, he can. He can jump right in. He's welcome anytime. Um, amazing leader. <laughs> now, backtracking a little bit to how that penalty came to be. Now, for me, 
And I truly am trying to take the bias out of everything, but it was a soft VAR penalty. Now the referee didn't initially see it and didn't even initially go and check it himself when VAR was reviewing it, which to me defeats the purpose of actually VAR. It's being used to nitpick every single little situation. In reality, it was introduced as something that would aid referees if something major happened that they just simply could not get their eyes on and instead has been used to criticize and stop. And just like, and we've seen it with offside before. It's the inch, the hair, the, the toe even. So it was a soft penalty for me. I don't think. But didn't the referee, I mean, the referee went to the monitor before. Afterwards, not initially though. Yeah, but I mean, I, it, that's the thing. I mean, with VAR, I think, you know, the I guess the unfortunate part or the I, I don't really know, however you look at it, is that the VAR is the person that has to tell the referee to go to the monitor. Like the referee can't just make that. So like VAR is looking at the replays, whatever. So right, like, I don't have a while. Like it wasn't, it wasn't immediate. As, well, as and that's the problem. In the past. It was a questionable take. Yeah. I mean, if you review a play to a certain extent, of course, but again, it wasn't initially meant to be used as a way of nitpicking every single Yeah, thing. well, I mean, that's that's a problem. That's a problem with replay all over the place, but specifically exactly. in, in soccer in the sense that it's supposed to be clear and obvious. Exactly. And, and if it takes you more than, Yeah, and if it takes you more than two minutes to come up with a decision, whether you think the referee should figure out whether it's clear or obvious, then it's not clear and obvious. So exactly. that's the problem. I agree with you. I think that the penalty was a soft penalty. Again, taking the biases out of it, you know, yeah. I think it was a soft penalty. Um, I don't, you know, I think I, I put on Twitter afterwards, um, ball don't lie because really, realistically, they did not deserve that penalty. Like no, I, think, I think it was very soft. I think what the referee ended up seeing and what the VAR people end up seeing was that last little attempt to get in front of Lewandowski to shield him from the ball. And maybe they saw that as a kick out or a trip or something like that. But for me, it's like, I don't know. There wasn't much in it. It was a 50-50 ball that they yeah. were both fighting for. I think you could have called a foul on either of those guys and it wouldn't have been questioned. Um, but yeah, I think, it was, I think it was a tough penalty because I'm not even sure you give that outside the box. <laughs> I'm no, not sure that's a foul outside been- the box. It was, I I don't know. I think the refereeing was inconsistent throughout the match. We saw fouls given to Mexico when they shouldn't have been and Poland when Mexico was the same thing. Which has been a little bit of a theme, you know, I mean, at least. Yeah, it's it's been a weird, it's been a weird tournament um, when it comes to at a time penalties even and everything and anything in between. But I won't blame the, refereeing when it came to the scoreline I was initially expecting more from Mexico that first half really was dominant from Mentri and I personally was very excited to see Alexis Vega kicking off Chucky Lozano kicking off I think their versatility on the wings is amazing I don't know if you noticed um halfway through the match they switched sides yeah to just trick around Poland a little bit um, before switching back. But that's the ability they both have on the ball. Mm-hmm. Alexis Vega was great. He missed one or two shots on goal. But otherwise, I, I thought it was an excellent game by both of them. Yeah, I mean, I think the we talked about this, right? We talked about this in the podcast leading up to this. Mexico's finishing needs to be yeah. better. We talked about it with Canada, and it needs to be better for Mexico. Felt like there was a lot of 
in the final third, which is the case with, you know, we could talk about it with probably all of the CONCACAF teams. We can talk about it with probably, I mean, I know we could talk about it with Everton in terms of club related seasons. We can probably talk about it with a lot of teams, but um, I just think that the final ball, the final third play from Mexico, it just wasn't good enough to warrant. Like, I don't know, like, just thinking back to the game, and again, I'd have to rewatch it to, to really remember, but I'm trying to think of a time where Chesney was like really, really tested or there was there a was real There was one scare. time. There was one time in particular, Henry Martin, our number nine, yeah. um, headed the ball and Chesney really had to stretch to make yeah. that play. But, so, but other than that, it's like you need, in a game where my problem with this game and how Mexico played this game is that if you looked at Poland on the attack, like they literally could not string passes together. They were passing right. behind players, passing out of bounds. They had nothing going forward. And it felt like Mexico could have just upped the pressure, kept pushing them, kept throwing balls into the box, which is what they should have done. We'll talk about this in a little bit when Raul Jimenez came on. But it felt like they couldn't hit that next stride, which is the stride. You know, they needed to find that final ball. It felt like it was there for the taking, but they just couldn't find it. And that's why, you know, we ended with a 0-0 scoreline instead of, you know, Mexico taking all three points, I think. Yeah, Mexico could have. They definitely deserved more than one point given the intensity of the first half. Mm-hmm. However, as the game continued, Mexico lost their power. Um, I personally, and I know a lot of people have contradicting thoughts, and he has quickly become a controversial player. I pretty much enjoyed Hector Herrera's performance though I do think he was left on the field a little too long because mm. he did run out of gas. But he was everywhere in that first half. Literally yeah, no, yeah. defending, like, in the offense, making the runs. He's not the quickest player on the field anymore, and that's obviously where, where H comes to play. But his experience showed he made a couple mistakes here and there with passes, but I think he was an and- excellent player in the midfield. And then when we saw him subbed off and – Charlie Rodriguez entered the game. He made several mistakes. I I think that's why he lost um, his starting role in the team. But that's it, it's so funny how we talk about this, and we could relate ninety five percent of the con- uh, the comments we're making about this to ever like because I'm going to make the same comments about the U.S. too about how some of the changes worked and or didn't work and and whatnot. I think that it very similar way you know. I think Hector, that seemed like what was working was the second ball for, yeah. or this, the late runners, sorry, for the Mexican national team. Every time, like Hector Herrera got in the box a couple times, tried to float the ball, fold the ball over, or they, they sent a long ball down the side to a late runner down the side, and they seemed to get, um, you know, a quality look, you know, a quality chance at goal, uh, at a goal there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Hector Herrera, you're right. I think he, I think he dominated. Um, a lot of the parts of the game, you know, for his age, I think he played really, really well. And was he coming off of an injury or I forget what he we was an initial knock. He hadn't been playing in the weeks leading up to the tournament yeah. um, ever since joining the Houston Dynamo. He's been on and off. Yeah. And never um, mind the fact that he had, you know, has a break, you know, Houston Dynamo didn't make the playoffs. So he hasn't yeah, played since not. what, you know? Yeah. He had, he had a couple weeks off. Um, I also think when speaking about that final third and their push, they're a little afraid Mexico really, really could not afford to lose this game. So 
on that front foot. And you saw Chuki a couple times where he wouldn't take that risk when face-to-face with a defender. He would pass back, and there was just a lack of initiative and creativity when it came yeah. to finally shooting the ball. And it's it's been a common theme with Mexico in general throughout the CONCACAF qualifiers and in other CONCACAF tournaments where every individual in that attacking line is so afraid to be the ones to mess up and to be the one that caused that counterattack. So instead of taking the chance, they really just pass it back. And then you see passing the ball, switching the field, just inside that final third, but none of them really take that chance on goal, which is why I think players like Alexis Vega, even Uriel Antuna, or like even Luis Chavez, they take that opportunity because they're the fresh new faces and aren't as afraid. But I think with Argentina, had they won, it would have been a little bit different because Mexico probably would have gone into it thinking we can afford to lose it. So we're going to do everything we can to win. However, their 2-1 loss to Saudi Arabia kind of changed the trajectory but before we get there, I would love to see what you thought of Raul Jimenez in that second half. I mean, I thought he, I thought he got on the ball well. Um, yeah. You know, I, it's, again, like I said, I feel like they failed to utilize his presence in the middle of the field. I mean, it's hard because, as they mentioned on the broadcast, um, Poland has a lot of big center backs. Like yeah. Big center backs. Chesney's very good at coming for the ball and figuring, picking out those right spots. So it's hard to do that. Sometimes it needs to be pin, like pinpoint accuracy, like perfect to get that ball to work. But it still felt like he wasn't utilized as well as he could have been. I think, you know, obviously he's still coming off of the injury, hasn't really gotten up to match fitness. There's still some things that I'm sure he needs to to figure out. But um, I think when he was on the ball, he was good. He was, you know, effective. But again, I, I just don't think they were able to get him the ball enough to yeah. have him make an impact. Well, that's when I say, or in general, like this was never going to be the game for a number nine. Yeah. It just wasn't. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. why Tata Martino has so long pushed for an associative number nine that can go way beyond his responsibilities of just tapping that ball into it when given the opportunity. And that's something Henry Martin is not. To no fault of his yeah. own, he's just not that type of player, which is why he was never prioritized when Raul was fully fit. And we saw their differences, even with a 65% fit Raul Jimenez, he was on the ball way more than Henry Martin was. Now, yeah. I'm not dif- diminishing his ability on the ball. He did score 12 goals for Club America throughout um, La Apertura. So he, he, know, he knows what to do and he can score, but he's not that associative number nine figure that sometimes El Tri need on the attack. We need a yeah. player that has double the chances. And- well, I think this in this specific game too, you needed a player who was going to be able to pick his runs out really well because exactly. you need a creative midfielder who's who's going to be able to pick a pass that not ninety five percent of the players in the world cannot see. You know, this is where a guy like Kevin De Bruyne makes his name. You know, in a situation like this against a team that's always going to be sitting back playing defensive yeah. football. You need to have a little bit of creativity and you need a, a striker or a player who's going to make those creative runs that's going to find them open space against a back five of slow, tall center backs, you know? Yeah. So and they I think that was the center. Yeah. Like that, that's the thing. They were, I mean, Poland, this is, we talked about this, this is all they do. Yeah. So they know how to do this. And you have to figure out a way to spread them out 
and then make those runs in between. And I think the passing it from side to side and trying to, but it's got to be quicker. You know, it's got to be quicker from side to side. You you know, the decision-making has to be a little bit quicker to break that down. Exactly. And I, we can quote it back. We have the clip. Did I not tell you that I was afraid of Mexico's little defensive mistake that could cause a set piece goal? Now they were given the chances quite a few times. We saw a couple of free kicks, a lot of corners, and obviously that penalty, that was just a tiny little error on that end. Um, a very anxious Jorge Sanchez on the ball. Now, I understand he's a young figure. It was his World Cup debut. Of, of course, he's going to be anxious on the ball. Um, he did receive an early yellow card, which led me mm. to believe that he would be subbed out for Kevin Alvarez, who's not a bad second choice, but he was he simply wasn't. Um, now Jorge Sanchez plays in Ajax. It's his first season. He made the move in the summer um, from Club America. So that was excellent. But yeah, those little defensive mistakes led me to run absolutely out of the room and yell, um, yell in terror. To be yeah, saying. no. Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's you said, I think it's in the intro. What yeah, you said is. about it I think it's in and, the intro. Yeah. So fans know. The fans know, um, but yeah, it's, you know, like you said, it it was never going to be clearly Mexico's defensive effort. Like they were never going to have to defend for 90 straight minutes or they were never going to have to get themselves into a game where it was back and forth, but they just didn't take advantage of those chances. And then the one little mistake could have cost them. It didn't thankfully to Memo Ochoa, but um but it didn't and it didn't. i also want to call that a little bit karma because as we said it wasn't a deserving penalty but memo <laughs> was there um and that celebration with edson alvarez was absolutely incredible once he stopped that but <laughs> you said edson alvarez wasn't going to start and then he did so well yes on that? uh-huh and now looking back at it it might have been a ruse because he wasn't playing in any of the friendlies prior and he wasn't in any of the training exercises prior. Yeah. So it might have been a decoy, but I, for one, was very glad to see him on. And I said it from the beginning, I think Mexico has few physically dominant players and Edson yeah. Alvarez is one of them. Mexicans are traditionally not um, the tallest yeah. at the World Cup and the most physically built. It's actually become a common theme of Liga MX players that when they make that move to Europe, clubs often ask for more time in the gym and more dominance in that way to try and build themselves up. Just because in Liga MX, it's not necessarily a priority, but once you're facing Poland or even Saudi Arabia or even Argentina, you need physically dominant players. So in my opinion, benching Edson Alvarez is one of the few would would have been a mistake. Now we do, yeah, especially on set pieces, you know. Exactly, and that's why we have Cesar Montes, and that's why we have Hector Moreno up there. Yeah, but Jorge Sanchez, in comparison, short. Jesus Gallardo, yeah. short. So you definitely need Edson Alvarez to come and be that player. Yeah, it'll be an interesting match against Argentina Very on Saturday. Very important. I cannot say I'm looking forward to it. Um, do they play before or after Poland plays? Um, I believe it might be at the same time. No, it's same time on. Th- oh yeah, it is the same. Um, no, I believe then after because Mexico okay. is at two p.m. Okay, then yeah, yeah. It is. Right. They gave them this stellar, stellar time. The stellar prime time. Stellar prime time. Uh, but yeah, now. No, the U.S. played a two plays at two p.m. every single time. So you know. That's an excellent point. Um, <laughs> switching over now to the U.S. men's national team. 
another draw. Uh, and it was incredible. I mean, okay, yeah. We're gonna, this is going to be an interesting segment. Um, I'm, ex- I'm excited for this one. I have so, so many thoughts. And I enjoyed that game 100%. I did not suffer as I did the Mexico I know, game. and I didn't oh, suffer man. in the Mexico game either. So. Oh, I'm so glad you could have enjoyed that. I didn't. Um, yeah, well, that's, you know, life. The magic of um, You know, the magic of soccer, right? Um, <laughs> like I said, I, I if you told me before the game started, said 1-1 was good. Like you said, you said that's what your prediction was. Yeah, 1-1. I would have said to you, great, take it, whatever, wrap it up, and let's go after England on Friday. But after the first half, you sit there and you look at the chances they had, and after the penalty and, and you know, just how they responded, it's just like there were three points similar to the Mexico. Three points were there for the taking, but in a much different sense, which we will talk about, there's a distinct difference between what happened on the Mexican field and what happened on the U.S. field. I maintain, and it, it was actually crazy for me to watch, but I maintain that the United States should have 100% won that game. Yeah. I think they Zero could have they... easily won that game. Yeah. But as I said when we talked about rosters, their inexperience absolutely cost the United States the game. They made several silly mistakes that a player with yeah. – larger world cup or even larger tournament experience would not have committed. There were several early, early yellow cards to figures on that team. Well, this is a, this is, this is a, this is a referee talking point too. I think the McKinney yellow card was right. I think that the uh, desk yellow card was really soft. I think that the, it's similar to you saw you saw what the referee was leaning towards with that early yellow card. So you knew yeah. you really couldn't get away with anything. And yet yeah. the United States continue to push. You had a at one point you had Kristen Pulisic yelling at the referee to calm down in what universe. I just think the referee immediately went to his pot. Like I think that there was a couple, you know, and, and again. If you look at the first half of that game, the first 25 minutes, I think there were five fouls called in the United States, two of them which were yellow cards, and there was just the one called on Wales. So I think that, the, again, I'm not blaming the refs because I think that there were inconsistencies on both sides. And if you watch the second half back, I think that Wales kind of got screwed by the referee on a couple occasions in the second half. Um, so similar, you know, like you said with Mexico, I think there were just inconsistencies across the board with the referee. And, uh, you know, I don't think the first one was yellow. I think McKinney, because I think McKinney's was coming in from behind. So no matter what, I think that was yellow. I just think Dest's was a little soft, um, but probably a tackle he doesn't need to make because the player's on the sideline and he's there. You know, it's not, you know, not right. a tackle he needs he needs to make. But yes, the, the inexperience showed, but there was a quote on Twitter by, I believe it was um, Hercules Gomez, mm-hmm. who said, yes, we talk about the... United States being extremely green going into this, but the greenest of them all is possibly Burhalter. And we saw it. We saw it in this. I mean, everybody on the planet, you talk to Scott Sanders, our colleague on 90 men football, uh, who is a Welsh fan was at the world in Qatar. So make sure you follow the 90 men football account, the 90 men us account, uh, for all that content because he is bringing all that content to us. Um, I, we talked to him after the game. He said he was shocked Kiefer Moore didn't start the game. So if if the Welsh fan base is shocked Kiefer Moore didn't start the game, what is Greg Berhalter doing that he doesn't know what to expect from Kiefer Moore in the second half? Like, well, and that's interesting that you say that because 
I don't remember who said it, but from the U.S. men's national team said we expected it and we were prepared. But did, it did not look there. like they were prepared because Kiefer Moore ran ragged on them for the entire second half, was physically dominant over the entire yeah. back line. And that's and he's giving me he's given me nightmares because he again being an Everton fan, he dominated us before the, the World Cup, and now I have to see him again dominating the US back line. But mm. he just it it just seemed we went into the second half. The first half was phenomenal, possibly the best half we played in a very long time. Yeah. Phenomenal, controlled the game, took the Welsh fans out of it, controlled everything you needed to control. Was it was simple. But you had to know when we went into halftime if it was that easy that the Welsh that Wales was gonna make a change and adjust. And they just didn't. They just they just, just like, oh yeah, here you no. go. We're gonna play the same thing we just did. And again, without energy, of course. And I, and I think the, the predominant factor yeah. in dominance. Now I do want to bring up the quote again. It was Tim Ream. He said, mm-hmm. We were actually prepared for that to happen to start the match. We knew what we would do. We knew what needed to be done. And we're fully aware and fully prepared for that situation. He said that after the game, obviously contradicting um, Gregor Halter. And if we're talking about his inability to make substitutes, besides the fact that Gio Reyna didn't start the game, which I've said in previous occasions is their arguably their best player. Yes. Why was he left on the bench? Now, he has since confirmed it wasn't an injury, as many rumored would be. He came out after and said, I'm 100% fit. I was fully available. And then Greg Berhalter addressed the situation and said, at the moment, I addressed the situation by putting in Jordan Morris, um, who we have also spoken to before Qatar. And yes, it's a dream come true for him, as he said. It's on our social media channels and 90 men us social media channels, but he wasn't the correct substitute. No, he did cite his speed oddly enough <laughs> as the reason he included him in the game. It's but the, I don't know. He's Greg's really starting to get on my nerves, man. He's really the like banner reflects a lot of <laughs> national our producer candidate, right now. Really going, ourselves. he woke up and chose violence. Um, but, um, he just, he's just, and listen, this is the, I think the subs that came on, unfortunately for the U.S., other than Giorena, I think they, they had to come on. Yeah. Maybe you could have brought on Shaq more instead of DeAndre Allen. I just think that they didn't offer much. Like Kellen Acosta, I think, lost the ball, like, just like kind of was leaving the ball but out. He also saved taken. the U.S. from losing. Well, he did. Yeah. No, and I, I obviously give him that. Yes. But from a an attacking standpoint, a right. possession standpoint, holding onto the ball, he comes in for Yunus Musa, who was very good at advancing the ball and pushing the ball forward. And it felt like he was just leaving the ball out there to be taken. And he had some bad touches here and there. My brother even texted me, who he doesn't really, he doesn't really watch the MLS. He doesn't really... He doesn't really have a bias against the MLS. He doesn't have a bias because uh, this will be the narrative that everybody has. It's been the narrative on Twitter all week since the since the game. But um, he doesn't have a bias against the MLS. But he, he said, "Who are these subs that we're bringing on?" Right. Like in fairness, there were two players that could change the game on the bench for the United States. One of them was Brendan Anson. He came on probably a little too late because too late. Weston McKinney was limping all over the field. Yeah. Very clearly, could not get out to the right to cover his spots. There was so much room for Nico Williams on that side. Um, and then 
Gio Reyna is the second one and he wasn't used. And it's a very big problem for it's me. It's baffling. It's a very Quite big honestly. problem for me that Greg Berhalter doesn't have control over his camp right now because he's saying one thing. His players are saying a different thing on multiple different Platform. you know, platforms in terms of, you know, yeah. We're speaking out of both sides of our mouth right now with the with the world with this team and yeah. well, that's and a problem. We saw, we saw that they were going to crumble. There was this wasn't necessarily a strong team. This wasn't a unified team coming into it. Um, and especially when comparing the U.S. men's national team to Mexico and Canada, both teams came out and said we have a brotherhood. We're extremely united in every single press conference. You saw each player defending one another. Now with Memo Cho in particular prior to the game against Poland, the media asked about Raul Jimenez and criticized the player for not being fully fit, but at the World Cup, to which Memo Choa came to his complete rescue. So seeing the complete opposite in the U.S. men's national team is not necessarily surprising to me, yeah. but I interesting that it would fall apart rather quickly. Now, I just, I just real quick before we move on, I just yeah. think it's more of a Burhalter thing than anything else. Like, I think that there's a... I think those guys fight for each other. I think they like each other. You know, I think there's a brotherhood there, but I think when it gets onto the pitch, as we've talked about before, Burhalter does not know how to get the best out of them because he does not yeah. play a system that suits their needs or their Well, quality. he doesn't even have a system. It, it, it's, no, again, there's there no. needs to be a lot done in the next two games for Greg Burhalter to keep his job, in my opinion. I think he, he wouldn't have kept his job regardless. I don't think so either, but... Head coaches don't... Um, yeah. stay after the As World we, Cup yeah. cycle. Mm -hmm. But I think it needs to be addressed in the sense that when we're talking about subs, there needed to be one for Christian Pulisic. Like, he is not necessarily a 90-minute player. He isn't that with his club. He's a substitute player. Now, if you want to make him the face of the U.S. men's national team, absolutely, go ahead. But recognize when that player absolutely gave out on the field, which he did at around the 70th minute mark. He needed to be let out. Um, there wasn't anything more that he could have contributed to that match. And that's that's when we saw a shift in the United States dominating against Wales. After the, yeah. about, I believe it was the 60th minute, players who kept making those runs, who pushed the attack, they, they lost steam. They lost gas. Yeah. You needed fresh legs, especially when several players are coming back from injury. Obviously, yeah. we cited West McKinney. Um, and if you don't want to play Gio Reyna the full game because he – hasn't in a, quite a little bit then yes yeah, sub him in it, it just it's not something i understand but with berhalter he did go rogue from the beginning so talking about a system he really didn't have any feeling extremely badly for jesus pereira and it's important to point out that he used a starting 11 that had not once been used during the congo cup qualifiers in that way yeah i mean i think in fairness i, I will defend him in this in the sense that 95% of the World Cup qualifiers we've had, we haven't had our best players healthy. And I think in this game, you had to put your best players out there, but I understand what you're saying. But I, I, again, like I said on what like we talked about, I felt like he got the lineup 110% correct. I think that was the best lineup he could put out there. No and deal. I don't, I, yeah, I do. I, I don't, I wouldn't have started anybody else. I, I maybe Gio Reyna, maybe Gio Reyna over Tim Weah, but that's it. But I also liked, as you wouldn't have started Jesus Pereira? No, I would have not. I just, I find that to. interesting because I do think Josh Sargent is on a better level right now currently, but how do you hope 
for your players to establish connections with others on the field if you never play them together more than once. No, I, I understand what you're saying, but I think that in terms of this, and again, Greg talked about this, the physicality, whatever. I think that Josh Sargent is more physical than Jesus Ferreira, and that's why I would put him out there. I think Jesus Ferreira pr- plays very well in open spaces, can find those runs, pick those runs, but he's not a terror. He's not a guy who's going to hold up the ball ter- like phenomenally. He's not a physical guy who's going to get up and fight with the big guys in the air. Like again, Josh Sargent didn't really do that much to either because another point is the fact that the U S cannot cross the ball um, for their lives, lives, which is again, it's, it's interesting to me to watch Greg Berhalter have no established, I don't even want to say system, but hierarchy because Christmas Pereira arguably was that go-to player. Now he's not even a sub. Okay. But I mean, I think what you got to think about too with Jesus Ferreira is he's that go-to player in MLS and he has been a go-to no, player. No, but I meant for the U.S. men's national team. Now but, when Ricardo Pepe wouldn't play. Yeah. Haji Red didn't even earn clubs. Well, again, this this is a, you know, a whole debate that we can have. We could sit here for an hour talking about how Haji Wright and Tim Ream didn't, you know, didn't, you know, get called up for a year or whatever. Tim Ream, by the way, I would like to point out. I don't think it's not because they out, don't deserve it. It's No, I, yeah, I would like I to point out don't, that. If a coach doesn't have confidence in his players, how yeah. is a player going to then feel backed up by their coach? Yeah. And this is what, I'm, what I mean by unity. Like, Tata Martino spoke of his players and spoke of the hierarchy yeah. and that made it extremely clear who was making the cut and who wasn't. Whether um, certain media outlets wanted to speculate around what he was going to do or not, it really was just for attention and clicks. We knew Santiago Jimenez was not going to make it unless one of the other two or three were injured. Yeah. With Berhalter, you truly never know. It's a guessing game. Yeah, and, and that's why I say it's Sean his fault. Dunson. And that's why I say it's his fault because you it know, 100% is his fault. But then it, you like, also, you I don't know how much you can blame that, that on the. Yeah, I don't know how much you can blame it on the players when they don't even know what's going to happen from time. Like, and I fully expect we'll talk about this when we preview it. I fully expect the lineup to be different on Friday. I fully do too, but I don't necessarily blame the players. I just think Greg Berhalter propels an individualistic atmosphere within yeah. the U.S. men's national team, which could be seen on the field. Whereas when you watched Canada today, you saw a unified group. There was no one player who wanted to stand out more than any other. Now we can argue Alfonso Davis shouldn't have received that penalty. Yeah. That's um, beyond the situation. But in Greg Berhalter lacking transparency when it comes to choosing players, you force others to think in a competitive manner and to doubt their place on the field to the point where you can't focus on anything else. Yeah. I think, I think that's, you know, one, a difference from club to national team is that in club, there's always going to be competition for you to have a good club team. You have to have competition fighting for those spots week in week out, but that's a week in week out thing. Um, With the national team, you don't have that Week in, week out, you don't have, again, yeah. this World Cup, we had, what, 10 days? Not even, seven days with Especially the, for MLS players. Yeah, seven days with everybody all together to put this team together. So, and that's something that every single coach knew coming into this World Cup four years well, ago. others had more camps to figure it out, but he never well, know, called but, the same group of players into one camp before. No, but what I'm saying is four years ago, when this yeah. cycle started, and everybody, Greg Berhalter was there or whatever. 
everybody knew that in four years, there was going to be a crazy situation where they weren't going to have more than a week to prepare. So that's something where you have to plan it from the beginning of the cycle, start figuring out from the beginning of the cycle and, and work that out. And, and again, I just think, yes, I I just think Greg puts the players in a very bad position by the way he runs his teams. And I think that I think think he's lost um, complete control. Now, before we wrap up this elongated version of the podcast, we We could do this forever. (laughs) We we do have to give love to Costa Rica. Um, Unfortunately, their result didn't warrant a lot of conversation. There's really nothing to be said about a seven zero besides the fact that I'm sorry, Costa Rica. I honestly, I honestly, on my, I'll take the blame for this one. I completely honestly forgot they were even i forgot <laughs> Concacaf was allowed to send more than three teams to the world cup i'll be completely well, they honest. did play um they, ended they did the play the and then playoff, did the playoff yeah. match i just I, they popped up on my screen and i'm like whoa forgot that completely forgot that so i apologize to the costa ricans out there who are hopefully yeah, watching sorry our show to be said or analyzing yeah, no, there is. I was just saying, I'm a big Brian Oviedo guy, former Everton player. So go oh, him. Well, but well, he did great. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's be honest. If we're talking about the Costa Ricans. There's not much. It's like they were. They're going to get. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. If you see the way J- Japan played, and this is another thing. You know, we, we, I could talk all day about the U.S. The press clearly gave them a problem, but the way Japan played against Germany it's not going to be easy for them in this group. So no. And it's, and it's definitely a world cup of surprises. Um, mm. Loved seeing Japan. Absolutely. Trash Germany. I like Japan. I like Japan. As Mexico Japan. did. I do want to point out, and I want to yes. highlight that um, we should all learn from Japan fans who clean up um, after the game, yes. the stadium, we should all learn to be more like that. But- I also love just real quick. I love how they, and this is just a thing, obviously cross sports. It's something about their tradition. Love how they bow to the field after yeah. they get subbed off. That's a really cool thing that I think that they do. And I it's just, again, it's one of those things that shows the tradition of the Japanese players. It's a different thing. It's one of those things you get at the world cup because you can't, you know, we're not watching Japanese matches aside Constantly. from when they're playing us, Mexico, Whatever. I think it's a very cool thing. I, I, I'm very happy for the Japanese team. Um, they were awesome today. So, yes. Well, and World to close off, CONCACAF has yet to win at the World Cup. Mexico and the United States both tied. And Canada and Costa Rica obviously lost. So, yeah. still hoping for that CONCACAF win. Hopefully, it can come on Saturday. Who, now, do you think, who do you think is the best chance? I think it's difficult. Honestly, I think it's difficult. I think Canada at the moment, just because I don't see Croatia and Morocco as a strong figure. I'd love to say Mexico. I just think it's a very, very complicated group with no margin for error. That doesn't mean I don't believe in the team. I just think there's absolutely no margin for error. Yeah, I I think, you know, and this is something I was going to say too, is just I think Canada had the best showing out of any of the CONCACAF teams that played this week. I think. Oh, that's a hot take. I don't think so. You don't think so? I think that they were, I mean, despite losing, I think that they played really, really well. Despite losing. I think that I, but I know, but I think that they were the only team that was able to sustain that consistent attack, that pressure. I mean, obviously finishing wise, they didn't finish well, but I think. Um, think Well, there's also a conversation to be had on 
Belgium's quality this year. Um, and the fact that Fair every point. single year they're considered a dark horse. At what point does <laughs> they're that the number two team favorites? in the, they're the number two team in the world? How are yeah, they dark? That, it just, they? Yeah. So um, but thank you so much for listening. Again, um, stay tuned on this podcast and on our YouTube level and social media channels, both our personal and on 90 min social channels. We will be back to preview all games on Friday. And then as we just did after the round of group stage matches, we will be recapping all the action of CONCACAF at the World Cup. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.